0: Welcome back to the Overtime Hockey Podcast, where we have one of our great guests from Carroll Goalie School. It is Steve Carroll, the goaltending legend from Edina High School via Mankato State, where he was an All-American goaltender and has been working with our goaltenders For quite some time uh, not only in the state of Minnesota but well beyond as well so Steve I know you're a busy guy with uh, all the things you have going on and you know you're engaged at Gustavus College as well coaching there and you've got the full-time gig so thanks for jumping on with us here today
1: yeah, you bet. I'm always happy to talk about goaltending.
0: Well, it is a special thing in sport, isn't it? You know, um, <laughs> you know what 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 actually got you involved. I mean, obviously, you've got the storied family for me, Diana, with a ton of skaters, uh, and then Annie, of course, uh, with the sports that she played as well. But uh, were, were you kind of the short straw where they had to shoot on somebody, or, or how did you end up being
1: in the net? <laughs> <laughs> you know, you know, back back then, you know, we played. Uh, not or not only organized hockey but we also played you know hockey in the at the local parks and in the garage and in the basement and wherever we could get a game with your brothers and sisters or neighbor mates and I don't know I just kind of I kind of liked the goalie piece and the the challenge of trying to keep the other guys from from scoring a goal and as far as how I actually ended up becoming a goalie um, because of that, back in the day at, at Edina, they used to, in the pavilion, they used to take the walls down um, during the summer, and they had a floor hockey tournament in there. Um, neighborhood floor hockey tournament. Oh, and and it, how great was that? Unreal. And I was the goalie for our neighborhood floor team, or floor hockey team, and <laughs> the Pee Wee A coach had a son playing in the the tournament, and Saw me play in the floor hockey tournament and asked uh, if I wanted to try playing goalie on skates that fall. And I was like, you know, I wasn't sure what he was telling me if I, yeah, <laughs> didn't have a yeah, as a, <laughs> <laughs> a forward, yeah, or, or whatever. But um, that fall, I, I was like, well, sure, I'll give it a try. And so that fall, I went to the, the Bart Larson fall hockey school in Edina and I went one hour as a skater and one hour as a goalie. And then, you know, at the end of the, whatever the two months clinic or whatever it was, I was kind of asked them whether or not they wanted to pursue the goalie deal. And, you know, I thought about it, uh, long and hard and, and said, yeah, sure. I'll give it a try. And, and they picked me for the PVA team that year with absolutely no experience, which wow. is, A scary thought in so many different ways, but we had a good team in front of us, and so I was kind of able to learn on the job and and kind of play goalie through the year, and we ended up winning the state tournament that year. And wow, um, was that all Edina
0: (laughs) on that PEA team, or was that Edina East at the time?
1: It was all Edina.
0: Wow, okay. Back then, yeah. So, so that was pre-73-ish uh, era. And so there aren't a lot of guys that are making that PWA team. So that, that's a heck of a statement to you, uh, which was loaded with players back in those days. You know, uh, Were you the only goalie, right. or were there two goalies on that team?
1: Yeah, there were two goalies on the team. Okay.
0: Yeah. Who 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 was the other?
1: Do you remember? That's good. Um, uh, I, I, I'm going to go with John Thayer.
0: The brother of uh, the great Larry Thayer.
1: Very, very well could be.
0: Yeah, yes. we're we're gonna go with that just because it sounds yeah. it sounds good. So then uh, yeah. you, you you roll along and you play at Edina High School. Uh, you're yep. in the state tournament. You have that memorable breakaway save. I believe was that against
1: Neil Broughton. Well, I did have a pretty good game against Neil Broughton. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we we did that. We played them on Thursday night. In the opening, well, it was a late game, but the opening round of the, the state tournament, and I think they were number one in the state, and we were number two in the state at that time, and and uh, we ended up beating them two nothing, with a couple of third period goals, and um, you know it was one of the few times that Neil Broughton never scored in in a high school game for sure, and then we went on to play Grand Rapids in the in the semifinals and beat them. They were the two-time defending champions uh, at that time. And they had, you know, their star-studded lineup with Don Lucia and all their other Division I players. And then that put us into the championship game on Saturday against Rochester John Marshall. And uh, they had the Lisi brothers and, and Butters and some of the other D1 players, and they they knocked us off. Uh, in the state championship.
0: Well, that was a gauntlet, uh, if I recall, back in the day. Uh, not easy. Not saying it's easy now, but, I mean, those teams, uh, that Rapids and, and Rozo, uh, even even what we were seeing coming out of John Marshall, even Mayo, some of those teams that came up were, were so, so solid and so good. It was just a blast. You know, when you look – we'll get into the goaltending here in a second, but I do need to ask you this. When you look at the state tournament and, and the, quote, event that it is today – and the event that you were part of uh in the mid 70s do you see similarities and differences
1: well for 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 sure well back then in the 70s in 1977 it was uh only eight teams made a state tournament now there's uh, the two classes i think and so obviously so fewer kids made the state tournament um it was played at the old saint paul civic center with the glass boards um it seemed a little more special back then because it was only eight teams and it was three days and there wasn't the internet. And so you hadn't seen a lot of these teams, um, throughout the year. And so when a Rosso or Grand Rapids or, you know, some of the Rochester's came to that tournament, that was the first time a lot of people got to see the talent that was out there. So, um, definitely a cool experience there. I would say still playing in the state tournament, whatever year, um, even nowadays, um, is a, is a thrill of a lifetime. It, you know, it seems a little more, I won't say corporate, but it doesn't seem quite as, um, I I guess I'm not sure what the word. I would say folks,
0: I would say folksy in a way, you know, um, you know if i if i were to like just from the outside looking in it was more uh it was it, it was less of a divided attention it was all the attention on those eight teams that you suggested right um yep. but on the same token everybody was looking at it now we have yeah. the ability to go back and watch replays or watch the game later cuz it's recorded and you know so it it it, it was it was just there's just a lot more drama I think to it then and the, and and the the small town versus big town metro versus greater Minnesota I think that was so much more expanded because of that and whereas now both the tournaments do incredibly well with numbers. People love the Class A tournament. All I have to do is look at semifinal Saturday and the numbers that they do, it's unbelievable or Friday. Numbers they do are unbelievable. Yeah. And and even on yeah. the finals. So it's it's absolutely has its place and it's great. But I think that the, the I think the focus of the fans are on more of the corporate product and it seemed more um, homespun maybe back in the earlier days.
1: Yeah, and and that, that rink was something special too. I mean the the, X, the Excel Energy Center is also an awesome place to play, but the Civic Center was a very unique place to play with the glass boards and and just the lighting and the whole atmosphere around the Civic Center. The old school Civic Center was was something really really cool. It had almost fun. a
0: it had almost a carnivalistic atmosphere to it. Do you know what I mean? Where yeah. you know you could really smell the popcorn and 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 the ushers you know the whole thing you know and it was just uh really 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 cool so then you go on and play at uh, division two hockey which doesn't exist anymore uh now at division one uh which is now known as minnesota state mankato was mankato state at the time earn all american honors have a heck of a career there why don't you just give us a quick synopsis of your four-year run there
1: well um I ended up at Mankato because my older brother, Mike, was down there and he he was um, playing hockey and baseball down there. And so I thought that would be a good fit for me to kind of go down there and be part of that program. And and we had at that time a group of guys that were um, probably borderline D1. There wasn't as many D1 opportunities as there are today, but we had a lot of guys that were probably D1 caliber um, players that were on our team. And and we played in four final fours during my four years there and um, ended up winning the national championship after my junior or during my junior season but it was um, an incredible experience and like I said talented teammates um, many of whom probably could have been on a d1 roster some someplace but chose you know the d2 route and closer to home Type experience and uh, it was a ton of fun for sure.
0: So were you squaring off against Jeff Passwalt at that time when he was at St. Cloud State, or had had he had already gotten out of there?
1: Well, I did square off against him a couple times.
0: Beautiful. And then you guys merged together into the newsroom,
1: into the sports room, sports department. Well, yeah, that's cool. Qual- that's hockey. wild. And uh, his his younger brother was on our hockey team, and that's how I got to know him. So his brother Johnny, John, who started out, and you know at, it was the same Louis Park star. Love him. Um, started, started at the U of M and then transferred to Mankato. And so because of Johnny, I got to meet Jeff and, you know, we kind of figured out that we both kind of in the broadcasting track in school. And so we kind of stayed in touch and had that bond moving through. And once I did graduate from college, I, I was working uh, in television down in Mankato and um, Jeff would always, Jeff was at care 11 at that time. And Jeff would always, um, send, um, refer the interns at care 11 to come down and work for me in, in Mankato. Nice. And, uh, and nice. I was like, well, okay. And so, um, at one point I decided to, you know, kind of go the other way and ask Jeff if there's any opportunities for a guy from Mankato to come up. Hey, why not? right? care 11, you know, And as it turned out, um, he did have an opportunity. There was a, there was a part-time position up there at care 11 um, watching games on Tuesday nights, Saturdays and Sundays. And I jumped at the opportunity and joined the the sports team. And at that point, the sports team um, was Jeff Passel, Tom Ryder, Dick Bramer, and then eventually Randy Shaver and ended up staying at care 11 for, for 12 years and, really enjoyed my time there. But of course the hockey bond with Jeff um, really opened the door for me to get into care 11.
0: It's amazing how hockey can do that for, for Mm -hmm. so many people. And then, you know, through that time you were coaching, right. And, um. You. You. You know. One of the things we talked about before we we jumped on for this mm-hmm. segment was, you know, one of the things you didn't want to do was was be the sports news anchor guy uh, who happened to be doing a hockey camp here. Come get it. As you said, get a free uh, eight and a half by eleven glossy and come to camp. <laughs> right. I mean, so you had. Right. A, you, you were kind of trying to uh, uh, tastefully balance that. Correct. I mean, so can you take us what kind of started spurning you into the 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 coaching and and being a part of the game that way and when that occurred
1: yeah so let's backtrack just a little bit what what really kind of kind of was the light bulb moment was that Mankato when I was actually cut from the hockey team as a first year player um, that freshman year and I was cut because or at least I was told I was cut because um, one of the things I needed to work on was my practice habits and You know, up until that point, you know, I'd only been playing goalie for four or five years now. Well, probably six or seven by that time. So, up until that point, I had no real concept of what it meant to be a practice goalie outside of being in the net and doing the best I could on the one on ones, the two on ones, the three on twos, power play, penalty kill, and then the shootout at the end of practice. And I never thought about, never learned about, the individual things that I should be doing in addition to that to make myself a better goalie. And so when I heard that, I was like, Oh, wait a minute. Now, if I'm being told in college that I don't have good practice habits, there's gotta be other kids out there that are in that same boat. And so I was ultimately called back to the team later on that um, winter and, you know, end of the plane and so on and so forth, but they didn't, hire a goalie coach for me I had to kind of learn how to do things on my own to make myself a better goalie and then so I once once I got through with the Mankato deal I was like well wait a minute now maybe there's an opportunity to help other goalies who are playing at the different youth levels um, get some ideas about what they can do during practice to make themselves a better player and not just be there for the for the team drills and so that kind of kind of spurred it on and then like i said when i was doing the tv work i was coaching um in edina um, with some well the the Squirt a team with dick blueston and helping their goalies there and and really enjoyed working with the kids there and seeing the impact you can have by um, giving them positive uh, reinforcement and helping their game and and then i continued to do that you know, through the TV career. But like, like you said, I, I didn't want to be a TV guy holding the goalie camp. Mm-hmm. And then once, once the, uh, once the TV career ended, then I thought, well, let's just go for it and see what happens. And we got, I don't know, 15, 20 kids that first year. And it's kind of snowballed from there 28 years later. You know what
0: I always recall is uh, I, I think when you, when you jumped into the mix, uh, it was right about when Warren Stralo was uh, starting to kind of turn down his efforts or people were looking elsewhere, if I remember correctly. And there was a, a big void there. And I remember looking at the goaltending terrain going, oh, good, Steve's got it. And, I, I mean, I, if, I'm, if I'm wrong, correct me, but I think that's kind of how I remember that evolution. You know, um, I had him from 76 to 85, and I can't say enough about – him and uh more importantly how he evolved with the position uh at the pro level through the 90s and into the early 2000s before his death but it felt as though it was in good hands when you took over am i correct that there was a vacuum and you were able to kind of slide into that
1: well i mean you know the the other gentleman who did an awful lot of work with goaltending back in that era was dave peterson oh yeah at minneapolis southwest and his teams always had good goaltending and he was actively involved with um, USA hockey and, and helping them with their goalie development um, curriculums and, and teaching methods and so on and so forth. So, um, you know, I never really thought of it that way, but I, I would say that, you know, Warren Straylow was a goalie coach on the 1980 Olympic team. And that was kind of the early days of um, a coaching staff having someone that had some Correct. knowledge of what to do with the goalie position, and so um, those two guys, for sure, kind of laid the foundation for for goalie development and and making the making it such an important part of the game today.
0: So over sure. the over the years from when you began to what's evolved to today, I mean, there have been a lot of changes. Conceptually, mm-hmm. some things are are similar. But but from from what you've needed to do to be nimble, what do you think the biggest mm-hmm. benchmarks of change have been over time that you've had to change, or maybe things that you've watched and said, you know what, let's do this differently here. Let's think this. Let's think this a little bit different.
1: Well, a couple of things that come to mind for sure. One, the equipment has changed dramatically. Um, it's much more protective. Um, It's not quite as big as it used to be, but it's bigger than it was when I played. And then the other thing that... And more protective, right? Well, yeah. A little? I'm sure it's more protective. Yeah. But but there was a a period of time there where there weren't really any regulations, so bigger was better. And you were getting leg pads that were up to the goalie's thighs, and you had um, catcher mitts that looked like fishing nets, and... And the shoulder pads, that looked like they belonged on football players and, and some of the stuff that just made it, you know, an entirely different game. But the other thing that really has changed is, is how the goalies deal with shots down low. And when I played, we used the old school skate saves. And so we would turn our blade out to try to use our skate blade to deflect the puck into the corner. And now the the padding has gone away on the goalie skates protective padding and now they all use the butterfly technique and so um as a coaching staff we've just talked about staying relevant with what's being taught today and obviously the butterfly um, technique is what's in today so we've had to learn and adjust our teaching styles to address the butterfly technique and how that can and cannot uh, be an effective save So can
0: I, can I ask you a question on that real quick? It's always been a mental Uh battle of mine. Uh, You know, when you do, when you do look at the old skate saves Uh and I think back to being, having a ton of puck shot that way, we looked like we were doing a little bit of a two-step dance there when we would save the puck. But um, theoretically, I fully understand and appreciate why that was because there was such a fear of, of deflections coming up and, and going upstairs do you feel as the way the butterfly position is taught now and, and the gear has gotten bigger, um, that, that the, the top half of the net has been addressed sufficiently?
1: Well, I think the, the, the big concern with people using the butterfly is that they go up, they go down too early and they stay down too long. and, uh, that's a big problem, especially with a uh, a goalie who's undersized. And when they're down on their knees, they do leave uh, a ton of space open over their shoulders. And so we try to teach them to go down with a purpose and get back to their feet with that same sense of purpose and not just be in your comfort zone by playing on your knees and hoping that they'll shoot it low where you can make the save. And so... um. The upper corners are always still kind of uh, a problem for the goalies that use the butterfly exclusively and use it in the wrong wrong period of time. And the other thing that you've probably seen in the, the different games you've been covering is this technique called the, the RVH, which started, stands for the reverse vertical horizontal. Have you seen that move? The,
0: is that across the goal line?
1: Yeah, when they, yep. they go down on one knee up against the post, and then they yep. extend the other knee, the other the other knee to cover the center of the the net. And it's very trendy move, and um, you know it's it's kind of like the butterfly was, you know, 10, 15 years ago, where people are going into that technique or using that technique at the wrong times, and um, providing opportunities for shooters that really shouldn't be provided if they would just stay on their feet. And uh, cover the cover the post the kind of the old school way.
0: Well, and there's some things that I've noticed. Uh, saw one last night in a game I did, where sometimes the goalies are tardy getting over there, and uh, I, I've seen more weird uh, wraparound type goals or uh, as we call bank shots that might hit some mm-hmm. ge- some gear that's uh, uh, kind of fading out toward the top of there, the middle of the crease area where where, where it gets a little loose. Um, I do think if you're a bigger goaltender and you can get your shoulder up to the post and you get there quick enough, you do take that away. But, but yep. it seems like I have seen over the course of the past two decades more um, weird goals scored from around the goal line than maybe you and I would have seen from the 70s to 80s into the 90s combined because there was so much attention paid to getting over there the appropriate way. I, I think that's a challenge that you have for sure. W- would you agree with that?
1: Yeah, hundred percent. And you see at the NHL level too. I mean, I think some of the guys at the NHL level go down into the RVH um, way too early and stay down way too long Yep. and they're playing, they're playing percentages, but you're in the NHL now and, and, and you've got snipers that you're dealing with and they can pick that six inch spot over your right shoulder. That's open. Or, you know, you just give them a little sliver of space over your, your left shoulder thinking that it's going to hit your shoulder and, and it goes into the net. And so, well, uh, like I said, right.
0: Well now Steve, they're shooting at the helmet because it's rounded and they see that sliver <laughs> of space and they bank it off the bucket right into the, into the back of the net.
1: Well, yeah, there are some coaches that truly do teach the shoot for the years and you know, that is what it is. But, um, Uh, I'm a big believer of don't make it easy for the the shooters to score on you. And sometimes when you go into the RVH for no reason um, or you go down into the butterfly for no reason, you give that shooter an advantage and you don't want to be giving the shooter any sort of advantage in the shooting situation.
0: So when you work with your goaltenders, young, medium, older, whatever it may be, How do you how what what is your methodology? What what does what does Steve Carroll and Carroll Goalie School? What do you really promote uh, from an overall goaltending package of what you're looking for out of your players?
1: Well, when we have the kids, we have them only for a short period of time, um, either you know two or three days, but we want them to feel good about themselves and feel better about their game. Uh, on Sunday afternoon than they did when they arrived on Friday night. And we do that by working on the core fundamentals that we think are important. And most of those um, revolve around skating and movement. And then we also, you know, weave in some positive reinforcements so they get excited about being a goalie and they achieve success while they're at the camp. So hopefully they can take that down the road. And so while some of the techniques have changed, you know, from the butterfly to the or skate save to the butterfly and the RVH and so on and so forth, I still think that one of the most important parts about being a goalie is being able to skate and move to get yourself in position. And I find that the skating piece, it's, it's not the glamour part about being a goalie, but it's the, it's the most important part.
0: Well, one thing, so, I, one thing I've seen the goaltenders that you've been involved with over my years when I was coaching Eddie Dine at the youth level uh, are their skating abilities and uh, how, they, how they can manage themselves around the crease, uh, w- whether it's, whether it's fr- from a, just a, a shuffle to needing to use their edges to, to uh, strong pushes to stopping on a dime. I mean, it's boring, quote-unquote, because it's not pucks, right? And sometimes kids would be like, well, what? You know, the the other component that I was working with uh, a number of young goaltenders. I mean, these guys were young, man. I mean, we're talking like uh, second, third grade, maybe even first. And we worked on a lot of movement. And one of the things that I was surprised on the older kids I was surprised how, uh, I don't know if this is the appropriate term, but how weak they were with their sticks. Um, To to, to me, I mean, there's so many pucks that come through that you just don't even see that's a stick save, right? And Mm -hmm. what do you do with it? Where's your stick? How is it working? Are you ramping it into the top shelf? Mm -hmm. I mean, I'm not saying you have to be at a 90-degree angle or anything like that, but I, I feel like that's an art that has been largely passed by a little bit. What are your thoughts on that?
1: Yeah, I would say stick play is is generally not very good for most goalies, um, and it is it's it's again not a not a not an exciting thing to work on, and so a lot of people skip it because it's not exciting. Um, but you know, look at Alex Stalock and exactly. the the magic he has with his stick. And his ability to play the puck is one of the reasons that he was able to elevate his game to uh, certainly the college level and then do an outstanding career in the NHL. But there's not many goalies like him that can play the puck, you know, which is, uh, I don't understand that, but not many can. But even today with the, with the, with the goalies, I think in general they get lazy and, and, they got their leg their leg pads and they drop into their butterfly position and they have their thirty-two plus ones on the right side yeah. and the thirty-two plus yeah. ones on the on the left yeah. side. Yeah. And it's 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 fine. It hits my leg pad. Who cares? I made the save and we don't care about the rebound. It's the defense That's their problem. Yeah, it, Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yep. And and um they don't they don't think about the stick. And I always work with our goalies about if you have a choice between a stick save and a leg pad save, make the stick save because you can control that rebound better than you can by letting it hit your thirty-two plus ones and pop it right back oh, to the shooter.
0: Well, like I say the same I, I, exact verbiage for me. It's my thing is is I see so many I call them the pinball flippers when they just yep. spit it right back at them. I, I'm like, why would you not take control and put it where you want to? Um, they just not even a thought, you know, so that's very interesting. So, uh, yeah. what, what is your, uh, model? Are you working with associations, individuals, both, uh, do you mm-hmm. work much, uh, during season with people or is this more of a summer based product for you?
1: So, um, primarily it's evolved into, um, a summer and fall based product, um, that we run weekend clinics at various locations through June through September, and we do three-day three camps, four different levels. We do an advanced skills camp. We're getting into the puck handling piece, for sure. Um, intermediate skills, intro to goaltending, and then we do one in September, or a couple in September, called tryout tune-up. Um, during the winter season, I will do private lessons, uh, joining team practices, or I'll also work with associations to um, work for the goalies in a group situation. So so the,
0: so the best thing for an association to do and I've seen you work this. it's great stuff um, fully endorsed by yours truly uh, you, that. You, for sure you, uh, the best thing to do is reach out to you on your website uh, I would assume yep. and to, to get a hold of you send a note um, yep. and, and you know I think I think you know, I've been on, we've all been on youth boards and we sit around and <laughs> beyond singing Kumbaya, we try to come up with you know how can we help our players become better? Um, How can we do skills things and I know everybody's very concerned about the goaltenders But they're there's not really what I would term Steve a lot of direction into what to do uh, Or how to go about it. So in the case of you if I'm an association and I want to bring you on maybe we book out a bunch of uh, evenings that work for you and the organization. Correct. And then you say, right. Hey, it's a a, 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 10 week package or, or however long it works. I, I'm not sure what, what's, what's the length of time that you get engaged with in that type of scenario?
1: Well, it, it really depends upon what the association is looking to um, accomplish. Um, some associations like to do weekly, um, you know, through the season, some don't have the budget and they might want to do monthly um Some do a combination of group instruction and then you join a team. You know, you make a visit to each team's practice two times a year or whatever it is. It really kind of depends on what the association is trying to accomplish. And then we just work together to develop a plan.
0: Well, that's and- that. That's uh, that's great. And I, what I'm going to do is I'm going to reach out to all my buddies that are on boards and uh, make sure they get a hold of you uh, because it's the most important position in sport. As, as I've been told, it's the most negative sport because you're forced to react <laughs> to everything. It can be positive, but you, you don't get to you don't get to you know force anything. You, you just react, and and that's the fun of the position, though, too.
1: For sure, it's the challenge of yep. of being able to get into position and use your skills, use your instincts to make whatever save it is you need to make to keep the puck out of the net. And let me just add Pete on those, those association clinics. What, what I really try to emphasize to the associations is that it's important for the coaches to be part of that clinic Mm -hmm. because Mm -hmm. too often, and this has kind of become the trendy thing in youth hockey is an association will hire a goalie company and it, doesn't matter to me which goalie company it is, but the goalie company comes in Sunday nights, Monday nights, Tuesday afternoons or whenever they come in. And oftentimes the coaches in that youth hockey association go, phew, I don't have to worry about goalie instruction because they, the goalie company is coming in on Monday nights and they're going to solve all the problems my kids have on Monday night. And then I don't have to worry about it. And I go back to doing the same old baloney for the other six nights that they have these kids, and so um, my thought is is that the time I'm not there is almost more important than the time that I am there. Yes. Because the coaches have the kids more than any goalie company typically has them during the course of the season, and um, if the coaches are not involved in, in something like that, then from the goalie company perspective we're kind of starting over every time we show up because there's been no progression made during the week. Does that make sense?
0: Absolutely, and you can fall back into the old habits again. And if, if you sure. can't if you can't correct it's just like hitting. You know, if you mm-hmm. go to a hitting instructor and you know, they get you all tweaked in and then you come back to a team that says, "Well, I don't have to worry about the hitting cuz that's taken care of." Well, no, it's not really taken care of because it's a perpetual conversation uh, th- throughout throughout the year. And, and I think if I'm coaching anything, I want to know everything about everything uh, that I possibly can. If I'm going to commit the time, I owe it to those goaltenders. I owe it to the defensemen. I owe it to the forwards, whoever it may be, uh, to be able to provide the feedback and the information that you are giving us on those nights. And I don't think it's asking a lot uh, to be able to do that. So it's not like you just make it go away. Uh, it's an evolving process, uh, no question for sure. You know, another thing too that that I've I've noticed um, with with goaltending is, you know, it's it's easy to feel the pressure. Um, I'll use a high school kid for example. Let's say yeah. you're let's say you're a freshman and you happen to be kind of a phenom, and you mm-hmm. make and you make a varsity team, and you ha- you should okay, you have an incredible year when nobody's looking or expecting it. <laughs> then your sophomore year you're not quite as good and then the junior year you're starting to feel the pressure and then by the time you become a senior you're not quite the prospect you were in eighth grade before you came in 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 ninth and and i i've seen that happen more than once with a lot of of goaltenders where Mm -hmm. when nobody's looking it's easy to be good um, but when it's expected, that's when the pressure begins. And that becomes a whole mental game that I'm sure that you have to deal with too as a goaltending coach and company.
1: Uh, for sure. And, and if you if you do a case study, um, it, it would be interesting to know if these kids, and it, it happens uh, often, but a kid gets to maybe he makes his high school team as a ninth grader. Well, then in some cases, the training kind of stops and then we get so excited about being on what kind of AAA team can we be on and what kind of summer team can we be on and then what kind of this team and what kind of that team and it becomes a little bit more about um, using the set skill set to get you on whatever teams you're thinking about. And sometimes the training piece doesn't follow and so you either stay at the same level um, or in some cases, you um, go backwards in your development because there's not as much emphasis being put on the skill development. Would, you, would you agree with that? A
0: hundred percent. You know, becomes more about uh, gameplay and and, yeah. and less about the details. And, you know, when you you look at these NHL goaltenders and the, the things that they do, it comes back to what you said earlier about being a good practice goalie and working on the things. Um, you know We always say you've got to be impossible to score on. That's part of the drill. But the other part is is what are you doing to improve your game when they're not on you at that time? And when you watch these pro and, and, and collegiate goaltenders uh, away from the puck in practice, they're constantly working and they're constantly reinforcing the good habits that have been trained to them. And not, it's not as much about a team situation there. It's them working on their game. And I think that's that's absolutely something, I think, in the mindset. You haven't made it, I think, is the most important part. There's a lot of work to do.
1: Well, for sure. And, and um, <clears throat> even with the college kids I'm working on is that we need to get better every day. You know, you got to college based on your play in high school. If you want to play in college, you got to keep getting better because now everyone on our college team was the best player on their high school team. And so if you just kind of stay in that, here's my skill set from high school, and now I'm playing college and are not dedicated to, to work and making um, making progress in your skill set, well, it's probably going to be a kind of a tough goal for you at the college level. Completely, and So, completely. I agree 100%. And, And and the same with the youth level, you know, I mean, I hear all the time about people being pissed off about what youth hockey team they're on. Oh, geez, they got, you know, short chains and tryouts, and he's on the B1 team. And I'm like, okay, well understand that the B1 team is a six month commitment. And at the end of the six months, you're going to try out for a different team next fall. And they're not going to ask you what your win loss record was. They're going to evaluate you on your skills. And so you can pout all season about how you got worked by the tryout committee or they didn't like you or whatever, but you need to think about getting better every day so the outcome of tryouts might be different in the fall. And that's a hard concept.
0: It is a hard concept, and it's it's very fair to say that the game doesn't wait for you. Um, you, 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 right? you you have to keep up with the game because if you think if you think you're just uh, going to float through, it's just not going to happen. But that's really, really uh, sage advice for the youth level. And, you know, I, I've never seen anybody make a varsity team in one year. Uh, or or a college team in one year. You know, they always say to win championships in one game or at the beginning of the year. You know, same thing for making a team. And um, that, that's some of the, the, the part of the process that I think gets missed in all this because it comes back to what you said earlier, Steve, and it's about, you know, which team am I trying out for, which summer team am I making, um, What status do I have, uh, because that validates where I believe the thought process is, To where the team is that they should be a part of,
1: right? And you know, it goes for you know the kids who make the double A teams too, you know, and or the A teams or the C teams is that it's a six months commitment, and that you know how you use that six months is going to impact what happens the next time you have to try out for a team, and so you think you're sweet because you made the double A team, well that's great, but if you just kind of coast and don't work hard and get all excited about winning games all the time and don't work on your individual skills, you know, you're going to get passed by pretty quick in your community and certainly at the different levels. And so uh, I always encourage kids that no matter what level they're at, they're at to work, to get better every day, some aspect of their game every day. So at the end of the year, you're a better goalie.
0: Well, there's always someone there that wants that what you have, you know. So whether it's the right. game, whether it's the game itself that's across the ice from you, or whether it's that position, what have been uh, some of the successes that you can really, you know, whether it's specific or just, you know, from an overview uh, look to, you know, when you look back at this and say, "Man, I've been doing this for this long," and here's the really cool part of the successes of what I've done, and I'm really glad I've done
1: this. Well, I mean, the bottom line is I enjoy working with kids, and it's been a great way for me to stay involved with um, youth hockey or, or hockey in general at several different levels, but helping kids along their journey of playing goaltending and um, or being a goalie. And, and like I said, I, it's it's been a great way for me to stay connected to the game and know when you're out there that you're making a difference with the kids. And every kid's goal is different so for some kids it's boy can i help them get to the varsity team can i help them make the double a team can i help them make the b1 team can i help them make a college team yeah that's that's fine and it's cool to see that you have helped them along in some aspect of the game um you know and, and i've been doing my goalie school for i'm going into my 28th year and so You know, I don't know the exact number of kids we've trained, but it's it's considerable. And I and I look back at um, some of the kids that I do know that came through my program that, you know, make me feel good about it. It's is Maddie Rooney, Maddie Rooney, the Olympic. Absolutely. Came to my goalie school when she was just learning to play the game. And I. Remember that. Or know that. Not because she was like an Olympic goalie at that camp, but because she told me that a couple years ago. She remembered coming to my goalie school as a, I don't know, eight or nine year old kid when she was just starting out. Now, you know me a little bit, Pete, and, and I'm quite honest about this, is that I'm not taking credit for Maddie being on the Olympic team, but I will take credit for fueling her desire to continue being a goalie at that young age where she was just kind of dabbling in it. And if she would have had a negative experience at our camp, it could have turned out different for her. And so we did something, I think during that weekend we had her to keep her fired up about being a goalie and spur her on to, to pursue it. And so that's cool. Um, Lauren bench the goalie at the Gophers for the Gophers um, came to the Carroll goalie school for years during her youth hockey days at Burnsville and um, I mean I'm years like four or five years for sure and then she's been a counselor at the Dave Peterson camp which I run for Minnesota hockey for four or five years and she came as a student for her three or four years in high school so I've worked with her i don't know how many years 10 years maybe i don't know it's fun to see um how far she's come and how um well she's playing for the university of minnesota and then you know on the men's side you know there's been a number of goalies that have come through that have had success and at the high school level and the college level and a couple that stand out would be uh, adam carlson from edina you probably know his story love his story uh, love his story. And, and he's the, the, the kid that didn't make the high school team and he died him, but played junior gold and, and got a D one scholarship and got eventually a NHL contract out of it. He came to my goalie school at some point during his youth hockey career. And it's the same with Maddie. It's not like, because of that, he's in the NHL or playing pro hockey, but something along the way spurred him on and, um, to keep pursuing his dream of playing hockey, um, big time hockey. And another one that comes to mind is Adam Wilcox. Um, the goalie from the Gophers, um, who's playing, who was a, I think he was drafted in the NHL draft choice. I think the I Devils, think yeah. Yeah. And I think he's still playing in the American hockey league somewhere. You know, he, here's an example of his dad was, was the, was the youth hockey president in South St. Paul, and they hired our company to come in and train the goalies. Well, who do you think was in that group? <laughs> his son.
0: Yeah, probably his son and his cousin, Staylock, <laughs> right? Or whatever. I think yeah. they're, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah,
1: they're, they're related, but for yeah. sure, uh, Alex was in that camp, or not that camp, that was a year long deal. And I don't remember how many sessions we did, but several throughout the course of the year there at Old uh, Wakota Arena. And so it's fun to see, you know, those kids that, like you said, you you saw them when they were eight, nine, 10, 12 years old, kind of trying to figure it out. And they had that kind of, you could see in their eyes that they were fired up about the goalie position and fired up about learning new things and, and feeling good about how they were playing And, and then to see them kind of follow, um, to watch their success. Um, you know, through the years, it, it, it's been rewarding from the coaching perspective, for sure.
0: That's absolutely wonderful. And, the, you know, for that story, there's plenty others, I'm sure that you have as well, uh, that, that are, are tenfold fold to say. Yeah. And, you know, in the end if, if a player like Matty Rooney comes up to you and, and makes that statement, they, they don't just randomly do that. They do that because it did have an impact um, that's what I've always found. If, if, if they didn't, they wouldn't say it. And I think what coaches' roles are absolutely to, to teach and to, to demonstrate and illustrate and help players develop technique, but it's also, also to ignite and it's to light that passion. Uh, some people have it. Some people don't as players. But when a coach can do that, uh, you know, it comes in many different ways and forms. And to be able to touch as many different goaltenders and organizations as you do the way you do, it's not like you're just knuckled into that six-month commitment with one team and two goaltenders. And so a, a lot of goaltenders for, from Minnesota hockey to uh, what you're doing and, and even those that are in Iowa now that are, are you're working with mm-hmm. have all been benefited from this. And, you know, you, you look at the pictures even on your website – I know you've got some uh, probably goaltenders that you've had in the past that are now a part of, of what you're offering to as well, giving back to the
1: game. Well, for sure. And like I said, I, I visited with Maddie. Um, it was after the world championships a couple of years ago. And, and we had a conversation, we had set up an interview to do um, an article for one of the publications I was working for. And I believe she brought it up that she remembered coming to my school and I um, Again, she was, I'd say nine or ten, maybe eight, just very early in her goalie career. And is it did we show her how to do the shuffle that it is getting her to wherever, or how to do the butterfly to, you know, whatever stop the Canadians in the in the shootout? Um, I would say no, but we did something during that week that one she remembered, and like you said, continued to fuel the flame that was burning inside of her. So. It's, it's that's the rewarding part of being coaching, that you know you've you've had a small piece in a lot of kids' development in their careers.
0: Best way to get a hold of Steve Carroll and Carroll Goalie School is carolgs.com. You've got everything available on there from the clinics, a uh, list of the coaches, plenty of testimonials, services Uh, a contact and uh, for any information uh, if you're an individual or a youth association. Registration right now is underway, so I would urge people to uh, take this information, jump on board, and uh, spend some time with uh, Steve Carroll and his uh, great staff at carolgs.com. Steve, it was a fun uh, goaltending discussion, and we're going to have another uh, uh, podcast next month. The one I'm really looking forward to is when we get to playoff time, and we're going to talk okay. about the playoff pressure and goaltending. <laughs> I'm looking forward to that kind of the mental part of the game. So that should be a lot yeah. of fun.
1: That'll be great.
0: All right, sir. Thanks for joining us here on the Overtime Pocky Podcast.
1: Thanks, Pete. Talk to you later. Thank you for Steve Caroline, Pete Wagner. So long, everybody.